Welcome aboard the dragon. We are back. <laughs> it's the orbital zombie dragon. It's the fastest pirate vessel in the galaxy. Where we discuss all things sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. With a focus on story writing. That's what interests me. Although we do review also. Talk about books, movies, TV shows, video games. In fact... Uh, for the new show today, um, you know, the, our, had the original 42 episodes, this is the new show. This is episode 11. I actually have a video game for you today. I am your host, Captain Richard Boomzilla Pippin. And Dragana is settling us down into low Earth orbit for another transmission. Transmission lines are hot. <laughs> I have a few announcements today, like I always start to show with announcements. Uh, one of them, I was just kind of checking on the stats. Now, I, I have to say last year, I was not as active as the first time I did the show, the original 42. I only did 10 episodes last year with kind of a relaunch in October. Uh, but despite all that, I kind of checked on our stats just to see how we're doing. And uh, kind of was encouraging. We have over 2,000 unique downloads. So thank you for listening. Now, that's not 2,000 listeners per show, but you can kind of do the math there. It's 2,000 unique downloads, 10 episodes last year. So, you know, average-ish, around 200 out of you out there listening. <laughs> We're not a huge show. Maybe one day. Who knows? Maybe if I actually get disciplined here and start doing the show every week like I should, there's no telling what we could accomplish, right? <laughs> but once again, thank you all for listening. I am hoping to keep growing the show. And still, maybe one day, you know, get a co-host. But for now, just keep going as is. As I said, this is the first show of the new year. It's probably been a month and a half or so <laughs> since my last episode. Again, too long of a break. So I have made a New Year's resolution to revitalize the show. And the new uh, schedule will be to release a new episode every Tuesday. It used to be every Sunday. And I'm doing this for a number of reasons, just production schedule, recording schedule. But uh, I will try to arrange it. Today's episode is going to be a little late because uh, I'm actually recording on Tuesday. But uh, from now on, we're going to try and record ahead of time, do post-production, and actually have it release at like 12.01 a.m. <laughs> I won't have to. You can actually schedule these things. I won't have to be up and like hit a button or anything. I'll just schedule it to release at 12.01 a.m. And that way, when you wake up Tuesday morning, there'll be a new episode of OZD for you guys to check out. So <laughs> that is the plan for 2019. Again, I want to try and stick to it this time, uh, trying to uh, get uh, Dragana to, you know, give me a, a kick in the butt when I'm not. <laughs> if an AI that controls the ship can give you a kick in the butt, I'll get her, I'll get her something. I'll get her some kind of apparatus to give me a kick in the butt when I'm not keeping up with the schedule. <laughs> you know, a robotic leg just comes out of my console here and just, get back on schedule, Captain. <laughs> uh, so I'm hoping for, we're starting a little late in January, but I'm hoping to, to really keep it going this year. 
And uh, we won't have 52 episodes, I don't think, because I'm starting too late in January. But somewhere close there, I'm hoping that by the end of the year, I'll have, you know, somewhere like that first year where I had 42 episodes in one year. That's what I'm hoping for. And uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, I'm, we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but I am making a, a, a resolution, a commitment to do this. Uh, things I am covering today. Uh, some of these, I'm, I'm a little, I watched them weeks ago or maybe even a month ago. So hopefully my memory is not too rusty. I do have my, my, my little notes here to refresh my memory. And uh, hopefully I'm not just rusty from being <laughs> away for a month and a half. But uh, what I have for you today is a video game, uh, The Last of Us Remastered, a show on Netflix called Cam, and another TV series on Netflix called The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I'm sure you've heard of all of these. Maybe you've watched them already. We're going to be talking about them today. I also have my writing tips category covered today. And it's related to Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And we'll get to that towards the end of the show. <laughs> so first off, The Last of Us Remastered. This is something I wanted to... Let me adjust something here for a second. <laughs> this, this, this is a professional show, I promise you. But you might hear me making adjustments every now and then. I don't do a lot of editing. This is just me talking like I normally talk to you guys. Uh, so... When I make a, a, a flub or a goof up, you'll hear that too. <laughs> I don't edit out my ums and ahs or my breaths. I don't want to sound like a robot. I don't want to sound like Mr. Radio Announcer Guy and sound all perfect. It's just me, the captain, talking to his crew. <laughs> so you might hear little adjustments like that or me stopping to uh, drink some of my engine degreaser and get the neurons firing. So <laughs> you're going to hear it all. This is a visceral experience. <laughs> anyway, back to the subject. I'm also ADD, in case you hadn't noticed yet. Uh, the Last of Us Remastered. I'm really late in covering this. I finally, after all this time, got a PS4 uh, so I could play a bunch of the PS4 games. And this was one of them on my list I definitely had to play. It was actually released in 2014 and is a PlayStation exclusive. So that's why I had to get the PS4. <laughs> This was actually remastered from the 2013 PS3 version. Uh, this was kind of the history of this game, if you want to go and look it up. Uh, well, I'm going to give you some of the details here. It was released in 2013 on PS3, but that was kind of towards the tail end of the PS3 system. The PS3 is still around, of course, and it was around, you know, still vital for years after that. But this was released, this game was released like shortly before the PS4 release. So people went and bought these PS4s and they wanted to play a new game. Well, they didn't exactly want the PS3 version. They have this nice new console. They want to take advantage of the technology. So the fans were, <laughs> were really rabid about it. I think petitions were signed. <laughs> petitions do uh, make differences. Happened for a lot of TV shows. It's gotten canceled recently. Petitions going around uh, right now for Daredevil to save Daredevil. And sometimes the studios pay attention. Apparently, the producers of this game did pay attention. There was a demand for this game to be on the PS4, and they responded rather quickly. I think within within months, not even a whole year, within months, they had remastered it, you know, with updated graphics, not so much mechanics. <laughs> and I'll get to that in a minute. That's probably only my little bit negative about this game is that the mechanics do feel a little uh, dated. 
compared to you know new games that are out there. Still a good game though. Um, <laughs> but as always, what's more important to me is the story. And of course, the setup of this story, if you haven't heard it already, a lot of people see it and go, they just assume it's another zombie game. And I guess it does have some zombie uh, movie elements to it. But uh, it's a post-apocalyptic tale. And it's basically, uh, most of the story takes place 20 years after the outbreak of a mutant, uh, oh, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to call it cordyceps virus, uh, not virus, fungus. It's a fungus. This is a real fungus that's out there in the world. Uh, it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't affect people the way it does in this video game. <laughs> I think cordyceps, the actual fungus, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure I'm going to get tweeted about this later. Like, you're wrong. It does this. Uh, it affects the brains of, of animals. And I think it's mostly affecting uh, rodents, if I'm not mistaken. Someone's going to correct me. I don't care. <laughs> not the point. But basically, it's a fungus in the real world. But this is a mutant strain strain of it that comes out that starts to affect humans. And what it does, uh, just like it does in these lower animals in real life, starts to affect their brain. And they took it even a step further. Uh, there's different stages to the fungus, the way it affects the humans in the game. You know, the initial stage, they still move pretty quickly. Still have some of their brain and motor functions. <laughs> I guess you can say. But basically, this fungus grows inside their head. And kind of takes over, turns them into these monsters. And you got the runners that are really fast. Uh, and later on, you have the clickers. And now the, the fungus has taken over more of their brain and uh, grown out of their eye sockets. And they can't see anymore, but they're really sensitive to sound. So there's a lot of sneaking around, trying not to be heard by the, uh, the more advanced stage clickers. But anyway, like I said, this 20 years after this outbreak, and a lot of people have been wiped out. And you kind of have this... Uh, I guess it's militaristic uh, state that's kind of broken out, kept control. Some people have all the all the guns and ammo and basically are trying to keep order. And you have a resistance group called the Fireflies that are uh, trying to find a cure, trying to go back to the way things are, throw overthrow this uh, militaristic uh, you know government. But mainly the story follows two characters, Joel and Ellie which if you're a gamer at all, you're probably familiar with these characters. Joel is uh, introduced in the very beginning of the game. He was around for the initial outbreak and his daughter was killed. I'm not telling you anything that doesn't happen like in the first, you know, 30 seconds of the game. So, <laughs> uh, so he knows what the world is like before. You know, he grew up in a world, a normal world, like we're familiar with now. It also follows Ellie, who is different. She's uh, She's grown up in this world. She's never known anything else. She's just known this militaristic world. She knows the fireflies. She knows the dangers of going out <laughs> and encountering people uh, infected by the fungus or just other humans that are just uh, nasty and looking out for themselves. So anyway, this story follows these two. It's kind of this quest to bring Ellie to the fireflies to find out why she out of all these people is immune somehow to the fungus. She's immune and they want to get it to the fireflies so they can find out what it is that makes her immune. So maybe they can save the world, right? If they can figure it out, maybe come up with a vaccine. I don't know if you can come up with a vaccine for a fungus. I don't know. <laughs> the science is beyond the point, right? It's, it's, it's believable. It's plausible, right? <laughs> Again, I would say people call this a zombie story. 
And uh, a lot of people have told me that other other people that have played have told me that they were terrified of the zombies and the clickers and the other creatures that you run into. But I didn't find they were really a major part of the story, even a major part of some of the uh, action parts in the game. I mean, there was definitely some of those, and they were creepy and in uh, intense situations. But I found there was a lot more uh, human uh, villains and human op- obstacles put in your way. So I find it's really more about the humans and their reaction to the crisis, which is, like I always talk about, what makes it a good story. You know, when you're doing a post-apocalyptic tale, if you make it about the apocalypse or the monsters or whatever, it's going to be boring. You have to make it about the people. The apocalypse is the backdrop. Make it about the people, their reaction to it, because not all people's reactions to it is good. Some of them become, you know, roving gangs of bandits looking to take advantage of the situation. And so and that's kind of actually how you find Joel 20 years later is. He's kind of in it for himself and uh, this lady friend of his, uh, her name slips my mind at the moment, (laughs) but they're just looking out for themselves. They're kind of mercenaries. They're kind of underground uh, gun dealers, just trying to eke out a living in this sort of uh, bleak world. And they're, they're kind of uh, ruthless, kind of brutal and ruthless in their own way. Um, So uh, that's, you know, that's definitely part of the story too. (laughs) <laughs> that not all people, even Joel in the beginning, not the nicest uh, guy, <laughs> you know, kind of doing some uh, illegal activities under the nose of this militaristic government <laughs> and definitely looking out for himself and his lady friend. And, and that's about it in the beginning. But again, these stories about are about the evolution of the character, how Joel goes from that to caring about Ellie. So <laughs> it's definitely got a lot of emotional components to it i mean they hit you with it right in the beginning with the daughter's death and that kind of continues throughout the story uh so that you know like i said to me it was less conflicts with the zombies more conflicts with the humans and of course all these internal conflicts with the character looking out for myself versus someone else should i start caring and possibly lose that person later on because that would hurt right so you have these internal conflicts also I kind of kept thinking through the whole thing as I was playing it that uh, this story has a lot in common with Westerns. So I'm calling it a sci-fi Western. (laughs) As some of you know, uh, if you've been listening to the show, I'm currently in a writing project, writing a novel that's a a sci-fi, not not sci-fi. It's a fantasy Western. (laughs) So this is something I'm definitely interested in is this kind of mishmash of the Western into this uh, more speculative fiction uh, type genres so maybe one day well i think there have been some horror westerns haven't there i think there's been all three horror sci-fi and uh i mean you can go back and watch firefly it has a very very western uh flavor to it so yeah i think there's been all three uh <laughs> i know there's definitely i'm not the only one that's considered this fantasy western there's some people that call it the weird west or something like that uh, I, I classify mine more as a uh a kind of a dark fantasy <laughs> and i'll i'll have definitely have a lot more details about that project as it gets uh further along but why do i consider this game a western well uh, a lot of the conflict a lot of this internal conflict and external conflict that comes from it is uh joel's idea and other people's idea but mainly joel's idea that things can somehow go back to the way they were 
you see this a lot in Westerns. Most of these Western stories you see now are kind of, they all seem to kind of take place on the cusp. You know, the railroads are moving in, civilization's moving west, and kind of the old west, kind of the wild west, is dying out. So a whole way of life is just kind of disappearing uh, through progress. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's kind of the Western side of it. But sometimes it's not progress that makes a whole way of living going away. Sometimes it's like this story. It's uh, quite the opposite of progress makes a whole way of living go away. So there's kind of this, you know, conflict between the old world and the new. And that's very prevalent in this story in The Last of Us. Uh, it's, it's really hard for Joel coming from his perspective, having known what it was like before, how good things were. It's hard for him to let go. It's hard for him to give up on trying to go back to the way things were rather than trying to form this new, you know, relatively happy life in this new world. It's uh, kind of similar to this other movie I watched recently, and I, I might talk about it, about it. It's just an older movie that I finally caught up on called Into the Forest. And Into the Forest, I'm giving, be, trying to be brief here, is another post-apocalyptic tale about two sisters. One's, you know, a, a dancer, and she's trying to get into some big dance uh, show, and she's about to audition for it. She's practicing really hard right before all this happens. The other girl is uh, studying for SATs and, try, and studying really hard for that. And when the apocalypse happens, well, you see this in a lot of movies, the unrealistic reaction is to go like, oh, well, I guess this is just how things are now, so let's be the way we need to be to survive in this world. Well, that's not really how people would be. People would hold on for a while, like, oh, the power's going to come back on. It always comes back on. So it's kind of like that. How long would you hold on? I mean, in that movie, Into the Forest, the dancer girl keeps practicing her dance, like the powers would come back on and I'm going to make my audition. And this goes for weeks. She has to come to the realization that things are different now. So that's definitely a part of this story also. As I said, Ellie, on the other hand, has grown up in this world. She's known nothing else. She doesn't know how good it was. This is just how things are now. And she's trying to live the best life she can in this world. That's the only thing she's ever known. And she kind of goes along with Joel really more out of love for him than anything else as, as she, as the relationship kind of grows, it's kind of a father daughter relationship. And she just wants Joel to be happy. So she goes along with it. <laughs> it's a pretty, it's pretty deep for a video game. If you start thinking about it. Joel does eventually learn. I don't want to spoil anything. I want you to play the game and experience it or go read about it if you're not a gamer. If you want to read the whole synopsis, that's not what this uh, show is about. But Joel eventually does learn this lesson that he needs to just accept this new life, this new world, and try to be happy in it. Uh, but of course, not without cost and consequence. So, I mean, you got, I mean, that's <laughs> kind of a lot of time the whole point of these stories. They have to go through all these uh, these hardships to finally learn the lesson. And Joel definitely does. Uh, as far as the gameplay of this game, I thought the gameplay was decent. Like I said, maybe a little a little clunky, but that's just because it comes from a different generation of video games. You go back and play much older video games, you're going to find gameplay styles were very different through each generation of them. And, and it just shows a little bit, even though it's got updated graphics and all that stuff. But the story is definitely... <laughs> <laughs> more than makes up for some of the boring sections because of the gameplay. 
really deep story. I really enjoyed the game's story. If I haven't <laughs> given you that impression yet, just to let you know, I really did enjoy the story. Very deep, for especially for a video game. Very powerful. It's about finding love, happiness, and redemption in this world that's just gone horribly wrong. So for that, I'm giving it five out of five blasters. <laughs> uh, I think I gave a perfect five to something recently. This is my first perfect five video game, I think, for the, for the story, definitely. And uh, there, there's a sequel. I know some of you that are looking forward to it. Watch the trailers. Uh, I think the data I originally heard was sometime in April 2019, and now it's kind of unspecified sometime 2019. But I am looking forward to that. I'm sure I will probably play it and talk about it on the show. <laughs> so with that, I need some engine degreaser. Hold on a second here. Good old engine degreaser. It's the neurons firing. Ting, ting, ting. Can you hear them? You like my sound effect? We got such professional sound effects on this show. Ting, ting. Neurons firing. Ah, that's better. Thought it'd be a little rusty at this after a month and a half, but I think I'm cruising along okay. <laughs> uh, so that was the good. That was one of the good for this show. Now I'm going to talk about one of the bad. <laughs> this 2018 Netflix film called Cam, uh, starring Madeline Brewer as the main character, Alice slash Lola. I think Lola is her online personality. And Madeline Brewer, you'll probably see her and go like, I know her from somewhere. She's been in a bunch of stuff, uh, usually a secondary characters, I think. I know her from Hemlock Grove. Okay, she was in Hemlock Grove, I think second season she was introduced. And uh, she was also in Orange is the New Black. She was the little kind of gangster girl with the blonde cornrows. <laughs> if you're into that, uh, Orange is the New Black, but that's not genre. So we're not going to talk about that here. Uh, she was also in The Handmaid's Tale, which I have not watched. So maybe she's a main character in that. I don't know. Everything I've seen her in, she's just kind of a secondary character. I do like this actress. I think she's very talented. I think she's very beautiful. Uh, I'm kind of waiting on her to hit the role that's going to, you know, uh, where she's going to hit it big. And I think she will eventually. I, th I think, and this is definitely not it. <laughs> to, to spoil the end of the, the review here, this is, this is not it. But I think she's a, a good actress. Uh, she's, uh, yeah, definitely talented, beautiful, all those things. And she just, she just needs to hit that. She just needs the role. She needs the role that's going to make her hit it, you know? Uh, the other characters or other actors in here I'm not really familiar with. Familiar with you got uh, you got Patch Dara as one of the other Cam girls named Tinker. You might know her from the first Purge, and we have Melora Walters as Lynn, and you might know her from the Butterfly Effect or more recently in uh, Venom, <laughs> which I reviewed earlier on this show. Uh, setup of the story is pretty simple, <laughs> and there's not much story here, let me tell you. Uh, but Alice, or slash Lola, is a cam girl. She's trying to get to the top 10 of this cam girl service that she's on. And then strange things start happening as her account is stolen, and a lookalike girl is streaming as her. Someone pretending to be her, taking over her account, and uh, raising the ranks that she couldn't get, I guess. <laughs> 
I, I saw this come up on my feed, like, hey, you might be interested in this, I guess because it was a horror slash thriller thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'll check it out. I'll, I'll check out Madeline Brewer. Like I said, I definitely like the way she looks. <laughs> I like her acting. We'll see what uh, what they do. And I think the story did have some potential. It's kind of a strange film, had a lot of potential, uh, but it, it just, I don't know, it just never delivered. And we'll get into that in a minute. For one thing, there was just not much interaction between the characters it's more of this the struggle with the main character with herself and this lookalike who you uh god i don't even know how to explain this without i'm not sure if i'd even be spoiling anything i'm just not sure if they even explained it enough in the film for me to explain it to you what is this conflict with herself and her lookalike and this uh and also and i guess you can say there's internal conflict here and we'll get to that in a second what that internal conflict is because it's kind of related to something further down in my notes. I don't want to repeat myself, but anyway, I spent a lot of the beginning of this film kind of wondering what is going on <laughs> and then hoping for an, you know, something interesting, some kind of payoff or discovery at the end. And it just was never delivered. The, the, the resolution, uh, the ending of this conflict is just strange and hard. To, I don't know. Like, it just didn't make sense. I hate to say hard to understand. I don't think there was anything there to understand. I'm also not sure what the message of this is, except that, that maybe it's this you know internal conflict, like I talked about, that cam girls are kind of interchangeable and replaceable, and how you can constantly chase this, I want to be in the top 10, I want to be popular. And you can kind of constantly chase this tail, this <laughs> dragon's tail that you'll never catch. And, or if you do, it's your, you know, even if you do climb, you go through all this, you're easily replaceable. Someone can just climb up the next day and, and, and you're down to number 11 again, and you're completely replaced and irrelevant. <laughs> so, but, but I might be giving it too much credit to read all that into it. I mean, there's elements of that in there. You know, you can tell the, the horror of the girl, like I worked so hard for this and now I've been replaced by this imposter. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I don't know like what point they were trying to make. I really doubt like, are they trying to make the point that these cam girls are basically talentless? Just, I mean, I mean, you, there's definitely an argument for that. You know, like I just get on and show my booty and I get money, you know, I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what message they were going for. I don't know if they were going for any message. Um, and I think I'm maybe giving it too much credit for all the stuff I just said earlier. The film just kind of keeps teasing, like there's going to be some aha moment, you know, and it just never comes. There's no real depth to the character relationships or conflicts. It's all very kind of shallow, vapid stuff. Uh, maybe it's just me not being able to relate to the story. I, I don't know. But it's it's just hard to really care for the main character. as She just seems really vapid and self-obsessed. You know, uh, it's hard to connect with that character. Even the family relationships, like with her mom and the brother, seem really shallow until the end. And uh, she she seems to have no real friends to speak of, kind of fake friends. You know, uh, <laughs> um, maybe that's the point, to feel sorry for this character. But I don't know. I just didn't. <laughs> and even that ending where the family relationship wasn't quite so shallow, it seems kind of, eh, not going to say unrealistic, but it seems kind of unlikely uh, for it to end the way it did. Uh, but I know there's 
I don't know where the mom was just suddenly like, I'm, I'm, when she finds out about it, you know, her being a cam girl all these years, she was horrified and embarrassed and humiliated and all that. And suddenly at the end, after all this, she's like super supportive mom. I said, totally 100% support what you're doing now. And so it just seemed like a, a big transition without an explanation of why that transition happened for the mom. So maybe that's why it didn't work. <laughs> but uh, overall, this is kind of a, it was kind of a long just slog of a film for me. And uh, there was just never any payoff to make it worth it at the end. So for that reason, I'm giving it two out of five tombstones, mainly for Madeline Brewer's performance. She did well. Uh, I think he just, it was just a good performance despite the lack of story and character development. Like I said, I'm just waiting for her to hit the right script, hit the right story uh, to really shine. And this just wasn't it, but she, she did her job with the material she was given. So that's the reason I didn't give it one out of five tombstones and gave it two. So, but I still, uh, I can really hardly recommend watching this film unless you just really want to see what, you know, Madeline Brewer looks like topless. <laughs> it just was not, I find a lot of Netflix films are this way. They're kind of hit or miss. It's about 50, 50. Sometimes they hit and it's just awesome. And other times it's just, horrible i haven't seen too many that's kind of like middle of the road like oh this is good i can be entertained by this it's kind of like one the door swings one way or the other it seems like with netflix films and maybe that's kind of what happens when you have this kind of a uh, freedom of creation model like whatever you want to put we'll give you some money and do it sometimes it you know it goes big like bird box did sometimes it uh flops like this which i do plan on talking about bird box uh, in a future episode by the way but that's all I have to say about that one, Cam, uh, Cam, the Madeline Brewer. So watch it at your own risk. <laughs> so back to some more good, but first, more engine degreaser. That's what I need right now. <clears throat> some more good stuff. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I was looking forward to this because. Uh, I had heard that it was, you know, not necessarily a remake of the old show with uh, Melissa Joan Hart, because that was kind of a, like a kids or a teen comedy show, which, which I do like that show. I've watched a lot of that show, but this was going to be more like the comic book, more scary, more creepy, uh, yeah, more gore. <laughs> and we'll get to that in a minute. I so said, there's a 2018 Netflix series. I think it's already been re renewed for a second season. So we're going to see more of this. Is starring Kiernan Shipka as the title character, Sabrina Spellman. Uh, you might know her from another film. I wouldn't say it's the, like, you need to go watch this now film, but it was a good film called Carriers. And she was actually the little girl that they run across in character. So Kiernan Shipka has grown up <laughs> and is now playing uh, Sabrina Spellman. You also have Ross Lynch taking over the uh, Harvey Kinkle character, Sabrina's boyfriend. Uh, you might know Ross Lynch from, uh, I think it was a Disney series called Austin and Allie. I could be wrong about it being Disney. I don't know. I don't I don't really know him, <laughs> to be honest. And you also have, I want to mention, Michelle Gomez as Mary Wardwell or Madam Satan, depending on what part of the show you're on. <laughs> and you might know Michelle Gomez from Gotham, which is another good show, or uh, Doctor Who, like the newer runs of Doctor Who. Uh, 
I want to mention first off that there was a really great reaction video that was published uh, about this show when it came out. And it was a reaction video of the old cast, the old comedy show cast, the sitcom show, watching the new show, getting their reactions to it. And uh, first, I want to say the, the, the old Aunt Zelda, <laughs> I hate to say old, that sounds like, the one who used to play Aunt Zelda. And the old one, Beth Broderick, she is still stunning. I went and looked it up. She's like 59 years old. And she's still gorgeous. I always loved Aunt Zelda in the first one, more so than Melissa Joan Hart. I just thought Aunt Zelda was uh, hot. <laughs> and Beth, Beth Broderick is just still amazing at 59. I just want to point that out from watching that reaction video. And Harvey is bald now and just seems like a totally nice guy. And Melissa Joan Hart is a mom. <laughs> she looks like a, you know, a mom you would just run into at the mall, you know. <laughs> Come on, kids, get in the car, you know. She just, but she seems really nice too. Uh, the funny part of this reaction video is that none of them like scary stuff, and the new show was too scary for them. They're like, you know, hiding their eyes and, going, oh my God, what's going to happen? So, <laughs> what do you expect? They're sitcom, and like, I think Melissa Joan Hart's done a lot of like, uh, you know rom-com type stuff so they're not uh typically scary movie actors these actors <laughs> i'm not sure if harvey really does i don't have to look it up if harvey does any shows anymore but like i said they all seem really nice Beth project still stunning really cool reaction video to this uh it's worth going check out just to kind of get to know those people a little bit but on to this show this show the chilling adventures of sabrina I'd say it's very uh, appropriately named. I wouldn't necessarily call it scary, uh, but chilling or creepy is definitely a good description. So a uh, good choice <laughs> on the title. And uh, it's kind of like a mix, I would say, of Adam's Family and Charmed. <laughs> it kind of has that mix. Although it's definitely more gory and, and more disturbing than those shows at, at certain points. So the setup of the story is kind of a theme we've seen before a lot in this type of uh, supernatural, uh, I guess you can call this urban fantasy type uh, story. There's a character that's kind of forced to live in two very different worlds. They're kind of a part of both worlds, but they're not necessarily wanted in both of them or liked in both of them. And so that starts, That's I mean, that's a very good, easy setup for internal and external conflict right there. It's also a kind of a creature slash problem of the week type of show with an overarching story for the, you know, for the season. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some people look at that and go like, oh, that's another one of these problem of the week shows. But yet those are very popular. <laughs> there, are, there are plenty of successful shows that use that formula. And it's, it's not, a, like I said, not a complicated formula. It's a very easy setup. Um, for you know, problem of the week. But if it's well executed, you can have a really good show. And this one is well executed. Each episode, to me, kind of felt like a well-produced movie. Of course, you got the overarching story, but each episode seemed to be kind of a story unto itself uh, and, and very well-produced, like movie-quality type stuff. And uh, this also creates well, a multi-layer plot. I know I've probably explained this on this show before, but a lot of people hear that term multi-layer plot and they don't really know what that means. Uh, and it's pretty simple, actually. Multi-layer plot is just when you have 
each scene. There's a story to it. There's a clear beginning and end. Uh, each chapter is a story, uh, beginning and end. And then you have the whole big story, you know, the, the whole book, I guess, you, if you want to compare it to a book. So basically, it's just building these multi layers of plot. If, you're, if your scene doesn't have a story unto itself, then you got to start looking about, do I need to, looking into, do I need to cut the scene? Does the scene need to be in the story? Does this add anything to the story? So again, this type of setup with Creature of the Prowl in the Week, you have to be mindful of this. But it, again, if well executed, it's definitely a, a, a format, a formula that works. Uh, and it worked in this one. The performances, I have to say, were awesome. I love the main character and her friends. All of them kind of felt like they had their own developed storylines and goals. Um, you know, you see these shows sometimes where it's like, why does this character exist? <laughs> or they're just kind of a prop for the main character to, to react to or whatever. No, these characters do feel like they have their own lives, even off screen, and have goals uh, for themselves. So they, I, I think they're all pretty well developed, at least in the writer's mind, even if they don't show you everything. They did have that feeling. The relationship between them, their interactions with each other seemed very natural and real. Uh, didn't seem forced in any kind of way. And I particularly like the relationship and the interaction between the two ants. It was, uh, <laughs> at times, it was very entertaining. Although it wasn't, I will say this, it was not nicey-nice like it was in the original TV series. It definitely, there was definitely some conflict between the sisters there on how to handle things. In fact, one of the sisters kills the other sister and then raises her from the dead. <laughs> How's that for... For sibling disagreement, like I kill you with a shovel and I'll resurrect you just so I can do it again if you piss me off. <laughs> like I said, very entertaining relationship between the uh, the two ants. I enjoyed it uh, very much. In fact, one of the ants is, uh, oh, geez, she was at uh, a candy from that horrible Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> I had to stick the horrible in there, even though a lot of people disagree with me on that, but I... I did not like the Wonder Woman movie, but I did like the actress that played uh, Candy, Etta Candy, in the show, and she's in this, so and she's good in this, so I just thought I would mention that. I also love the guy that played Father Blackwood, kind of the main, I don't know if that, I guess I could, you can call him an antagonist or a villain. He kind of is. He's kind of, you know, again, a realistic character. He's not necessarily, well, he's all bad. He's all evil. He's the headmaster of the Witch Academy. <laughs> So he's definitely evil, but you know his opposition to the main characters is more basically because of his own goals, not necessarily just to screw them up. So, <laughs> so they're a good villain. That's a good sign of a good villain. You know, he doesn't just exist just to reflect the, the main character. He's got his own goals. It just happens to come into conflict with the main character's goals. But I really like the guy that played him. He definitely did a good job with it. He's definitely scary. Definitely evil. Not a uh, low calorie diet evil, he was super evil and really good at it. <laughs> Didn't like him. And Michelle Gomez, oh my goodness, was amazing. As I would say, she's really the main villain of the story, uh, playing uh, Madam, Madam Satan, which I love that character name. <laughs> but she was amazing in this story, and um. She was, I'd say she is the main villain in a story that's kind of full of villains. And she played it really well. 
and was incredibly hot while doing it. <laughs> it kind of reminded me a little bit of a Galaxy Quest with Sigourney Weaver, because every time Michelle Gomez appears on the screen, it seemed like her neckline got plunged a little more, and you got to see a little more uh, action going on there. <laughs> like I said, extremely gorgeous uh, older lady there, and uh, very uh, talented. I really enjoyed her as Madam Satan. <clears throat> oh, goodness. More degreaser, guys. I've been talking for a while now. <clears throat> and then we get back to more Sabrina. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> warm up the throat here. Here we go. I'm back at it. So, again, well-executed show. Uh, you can just go along for the ride on this one. Uh, it's it's definitely not too deep, but it's some good, creepy fun that you can just kind of go along the roller coaster ride for. Uh, season two, like I said, has already been ordered. And the end of this season is clearly setting up for that. Some questions are answered. They don't leave you totally hanging. Some questions are answered. And some new mysteries are kind of hinted at. So they're definitely setting up for the second season. Overall, I am looking forward to the second season. And the holiday episode which is out. Let's say looking forward. I'm just, for me, I'm looking forward because I haven't watched the holiday episode yet. I just need to watch it. <laughs> but I will check it out. I'll probably talk about it at some later date. Maybe after, because uh, it's probably not enough, not enough material for a whole uh, write-up who'll talk about just that holiday episode. Maybe I'll include it. You know, when season two comes out, I'll include a little something about the holiday episode. I think that's the general plan. So, again, good, fun, creepy, uh, gory, shocking, all the good stuff about uh, this type of dark, <laughs> dark urban fantasy type thing. And so for that, I am giving it four out of five tombstones. I guess I would have given it five. Uh, maybe, I don't know, could have been a little, a little deeper. But, I mean, this is just that kind of show. It's good and fun and absolutely can't say too much bad about this show. <laughs> so I def definitely recommend watching it if you're into this type of show. If you liked Riverdale, uh, you'll probably like this show. If you're into creepy stuff, you'll definitely like it. Again, four out of five tombstones. So that gets me to my writing tips for the week. And like I said, it's related to Sabrina, or The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, I should say, because there is a movie out there called Sabrina just to confuse the shit out of people on Netflix. But it's about that, that format I talked about, the problem of the week format. Again, there's nothing wrong with a problem or creature of the week format. It's used in tons of popular shows. Supernatural is going on, what, season 2000 right now? <laughs> or it might get to season 2000 one day. Uh, I don't know, but... It's, it's a formula that's literally been used for decades. It's probably been used since TV shows were even a, became a thing. I mean, you could even say Love Boat was a problem with a week type of story. <laughs> but uh, there's two main methods to the problem of the week format, and I'll go into those. The two main methods is the magic vehicle method and the mystery town method. Now, the magic vehicle method, that's a term I actually found Writers know about this method. Uh, you can go look it up if you want to. Just type in magic vehicle story. It'll probably pop up on, with a number of them. And there's been a ton of shows using both of these methods. 
it, the magic vehicle is basically this something, some device or vehicle or whatever that transports the main characters to a new location with a new set of problems to solve. So it can be a starship, like on Star Trek The Next Generation. It can be a, a Corvette convertible, like in Route 66. It can be the mystery machine in Scooby-Doo. It can be the leaps through time and quantum leap. All these things just basically take this character that you know and love and zaps them to a new location every week where there's some new problems to resolve. <laughs> That's basically the magic vehicle method in a nutshell. It's, I mean, it's as simple as that. Something that brings the characters there to where the problems are. Uh, then there's the mystery town method, which is used like in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina where the town or area is just kind of this uh, locus or focus of strange activity for the characters to investigate. It can be a place with a long and diverse history, like maybe a, like a hotel that lots of people stayed at or an island resort that people travel to, and then something always seems to happen there. And people basically arrive with their own sets of problems, and the history of the place can be explored for more stories as well. So all these characters just show up with their own stories and maybe they interact with one another, the characters, different stories intersect, whatever. And again, there's tons of shows like this, you know, going way back, you know, fantasy Island love boat. I guess love boat is more of a location. It's a location and a vehicle. So it's both <laughs> way off genre right there. But those are some other good examples of it. Uh, I guess some other good examples would be like, uh, the, what was that? There was a season of American Horror Story that was based in a hotel. Again, lots of guests just show up. They get their own stories. The place has a history. All these things can be part of the mystery town method of this problem of the week format. But whatever method you use, there are some definite benefits uh, and advantages to this format. There's basically tons of room and a built-in method for character development as always if you're going to do this method make it not about the location or the vehicle make it about characters 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 always characters that's what i always say don't i dragana don't I always say that she's agreeing with me <laughs> make it about characters i always preach this uh so basically where this the, the character development comes in here is as new problems arise you get to know the character by the way they handle it. You get to know a little bit more about that character. It's a new problem they may have never faced before. Then you find out something about them in the course of the story. You can use it to reveal a, a personality trait in the character or to reveal something about their history. Either way. Good example, you know, Captain Picard. Man, he's never run into this situation before. Let's see how he handles this. And then you can, you know, figure out something about Captain Picard. So over time, as you get to know these characters well, you can kind of begin to guess how they'll handle this new situation that pops up. It may be similar to one, or you may just know something about his character, like, oh man, he's not going to react well to this. <laughs> but another advantage is that there's always room for surprises. Maybe there's something you didn't know about this character yet. And you, know, you can surprise them, like say, oh man, I did not expect Captain Picard to do that. <laughs> I wonder what happened to make him do that. And then you find out something about his history that made him maybe react differently to that situation that you thought was similar to something else. 
and you get to you know get to learn more about the character. The downside, of course, is that it can get uh, too predictable or monotonous. So, you know, it's kind of like, oh, here we go again, another monster in another town, <laughs> or, or here we go again, Angela Lansbury goes to town and somebody dies. But it can work. Uh, that's that, that's the only downside of it, and I think that's eventually what kind of ends those shows. Is people will eventually lose interest. But look at Supernatural, you know, season two thousand. So. But often, uh, again, the character development, the room for it is just there, especially if it continues on for seasons, you know, multiple seasons. So often when this method is well done, the audience really develops this long-term relationship with the character. And sometimes this continues long after the show is over. Like they've spent so much time with this character and get to know them. They honestly feel like it's part of their lives. I mean, look at me. I'm still talking about Captain Picard to this day. There's tons of people still talk about the crew of Firefly. That show has been over for years. <laughs> okay. But, and that was only one season. But people develop a relationship with these characters because you learn so much about them. They become like your, your friends. Maybe not Jane. Jane's nobody's friend. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's got his gun, right? <laughs> <laughs> But they do. I mean, people develop these tight relationships with these characters. Definite advantage to this format. I said, there's nothing wrong with it. But like anything else, it can be well executed and it can be poorly executed. So it kind of depends on, again, characters, 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 <laughs> always characters, always preaching this. But I guess that's all I have for writing tips today and all I have really for the show. Uh, next week, I'm planning on finally going to see uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse before it leaves the theaters. So I'll probably be talking about that, finally. <laughs> but in the meantime, check out our website, orbitalzombiedragon.com. Check out our Facebook page, our Instagram. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us. It's a good way of getting the show out to other people who might enjoy it. But for now, it's time for us to drop out of low Earth orbit go on another galactic adventure. See you next week. Dragana, take us out. Uh,